You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. God bless you for being here. It really thrills my heart to see you all here. And I hope that you would stay through the the meal and the question and answer service. And uh, we invite you to all of it. And I believe it will be a blessing. Let's make sure that our cell phones are on silent, please, so that there are no distractions. There's a lot of people in here, and that can lead to a lot of distractions. Let's make sure that we focus in. I hope that everybody has a Bible. If you do not have a Bible, church members, look on. Make sure that everybody can see one. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, please tell us. Please tell any one of these ushers. Tell me. Uh, find somebody who looks like a member and ask them, and we will get you. We will get you a Bible. And uh, definitely, please, do not leave here without a Bible. We don't want you to leave here without Jesus either. And uh, what a shame would it be to leave without a Bible. And it would be a little better to leave with a Bible, but it would be much better to leave with Jesus. So please, focus in on this, if you will. I don't know about you, but uh, I've heard of some people who just don't dream or they don't remember their dreams. Is anybody like that in here? You, you don't dream or you don't remember your dreams. I assure you, you dream or you just don't eat pizza right before you go to bed like I do. <laughs> but I have dreams every single night and the vast majority of them I would just have to put in the strange category. <laughs> really no explanation to them. And um, I, I know there's books out there that interpret dreams or something like that. I don't put any stock in those. But if, uh, if they had any credence to them, I would not want to read what my dreams meant. They usually involve Illinois and, and like lobsters and Priuses. I don't know. It's just strange. It's just honestly. Every now and then I'll have a good dream. It's very rare, but I will have a dream where I'm sad that I wake up from it. But those are, those are very rare. The majority are just strange. But every now and then, I have a bad dream. And I have recurring bad dreams. And uh, usually it is I'm in a fight with somebody. And I, I go to punch. And when I punch, I, I can't punch. Or, or I punch in slow motion. And they're, they're punching full speed, and they're landing every single one of them. And I'm trying to revert back to my Taekwondo days, you know, when I was five or six, when, which is really beneficial, I'm sure. But, um, and, and nothing comes through. Or, or this, this, is a, this is a recurring one here. We have a big day at church. We have a conference, and I am unprepared for it. I'll, I'll be going throughout my day, and I'll get a call from the guest speaker that we're having, and he'll say, hey, I'm at the airport. And then I'm scrambling, trying to make him think that I didn't forget him, even though I did forget him. Or I get up, I get up in front of a crowd like this, and I realize I don't have my notes, and I don't have my notes because I didn't study at all. Kind of like this morning, but just bear with me. Um, <laughs> another one is uh, I'll be. I'll be putting my kids in the car, and then as I'm going to get into the driver's seat, the car takes off because somebody is in the car, and then I'm chasing after it, and I'm chasing after it in slow motion again. <laughs> the, the worst dream that I've had, I've only had it once, but this is by far the worst dream that I have ever had. Uh, my wife and me were 
hiking or, or something, which I, I've tried to get my wife hiking before, and that, that will just never happen, ever. Uh, she will not, she's not a camper, she's a glamper. If you know the difference, there is very much a difference. If she can do it with a Tempur-Pedic pillow and air conditioning, she'll go camping, but that's not camping. So we, we were out hiking, and there's one point where we're climbing something, and there's, there's a gap in between this cliff, and I make the jump, and I turn around, and she goes to make it, and she, she falls short of it. And in my dream, she, she grabs on, and she slips, and she falls, and in my dream, I hear her, I hear her hit the ground. And immediately I wake up and it was so real to me. My heart was pounding. I almost cried. I, I reached over to her and I, I grabbed her and I held her because it was so real to me. I felt like I lost her. Now, of course, she's, get off, get off. <laughs> what are you doing? You're so annoying. Now I'm not going to be able to go back to bed. I'm, like, I'm having a moment here, you know, this emotional. I almost lost my wife. She's like, oh, you're so annoying. <laughs> But it's amazing. It's amazing how real your subconscious can follow you into your conscience. It's, it's amazing how real a dream can be to the point where you, even when you wake up, you have a hard time and it takes some time to decipher the difference between your dream and reality. The fear of your dream follows you into reality. The anger of your dream follows you into reality. Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. The regret in your dream follows you into reality. The hurt follows you into reality. The less, sometimes the lessons that you learn in your dreams follow you into reality. And that exact situation played out in the life of a woman about 3,000 years ago in Israel. And I'll tell you the story to begin with. You're going to know where it's found, but don't turn there just yet. She lived in a village called Shulam, also known as Shunem sometimes, but it was about 130 kilometers north of Jerusalem. And it's still, it's still there today. You can, you can look it up. It's incredible. It was a beautiful spot, but poor, very poor town, mostly made up of shepherds and farmers. And this woman, along with her brothers, worked in a vineyard in Shulam. And the vineyard belonged to somebody else. It didn't, it didn't belong to them. But their, their life was work. It's all that they did. In fact, their days were so filled with work, their, their skin turned black with the sun. That's how often they were out in the, in the fields and in the vineyards. And because of her situation, this woman became extremely insecure about her appearance, extremely insecure about her life. And after all, she's, she's a woman just like anybody else is a woman. And she felt ugly. She was poor, she was burnt, she's constantly tired, probably wasn't able to bathe in the way that she would like to bathe. She wasn't able to take care of herself in the way that she would like to take care of herself. She even, by her own testimony, says at one point, I feel uncomfortable when people even look at me. That's how she felt. One day, she meets a young shepherd who's working in a field near her vineyard. And he doesn't even, he doesn't just look at her. I mean, he starts talking to her and she engages back and 
They talk and nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew where he came from. He didn't live in Shulam. He wasn't from Shulam. It was very interesting. Some days he would be there and he would be watching his sheep and then other days he'd just disappear. And he'd disappear for a, a long time. One, one time she asked him, like, where do, where do you come from? And where, where do you take the sheep at noonday? And like, where do you disappear off to? And he gives this kind of vague and cryptic answer and then just immediately changes the subject. But over time, they start talking more and more, and it becomes very clear that the shepherd boy is deeply in love with this woman. And even though she felt so ugly, even though she felt really so, so worthless, he made her feel like she was everything. You can, you can read about it. She hates her hair. He loves her hair. She hates her skin. She lo he loves her skin. She hates her teeth. He loves her teeth. Like everything that she hates about herself, he, he loves about her. She feels ugly, and he looks at her one point with all sincerity and, say, and says, you are the fairest among women. She says at one point, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the lily of the valley. I'm the rose of Sharon. And, and that's this like little weed flowers. And he says, no, you're, you're so much more than that. You're like a lily among thorns. And he, he makes her feel so special. And his love for her was so unexpected, so surprising to her, but so real to her. She couldn't help but love him back. And that's what real love does. He proposes to her one day, says, come away with me. You're always asking where I, where I come from. I'll, I'll show you. And right in the middle of the proposal, as brothers do, because it, later in the book, the brothers are saying, like, we need to watch out for this girl because, you know, she is beautiful and guys are going to be all over her, you know, and we need to make, they say this, we need to make sure she's a wall and not a door. <laughs> if, you get, if you get what I mean, you know, some girls are just any, any attention, just door, 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 open, open, open. Love is an open door. Yeah. <laughs> the Bible says wall. <laughs> <laughs> So he proposes to her, you know, come away with me. And right in the middle of the proposal, the brothers interrupt and say, get back to work. So unromantic. And as she's walking away, she, she turns around and she gives her answer. And she says this, my beloved is mine and I am his. I think that's a yes. Yeah, right. She goes to sleep that night. She has a dream, just a wonderful dream about her and her beloved is, is what she calls him. The next day she wakes up. She's working in the vineyard. And she sees a caravan. Not like a Dodge, but, you know, a, bi a big, a big one. <laughs> yeah, that would have been romantic. Me, 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 me. She sees this caravan coming, and there's soldiers and, and camels and livestock and chariots and merchants that are coming through, and it's coming over the horizon. And that doesn't happen in Shulam. And so she asks somebody, who, who does this belong to? And he answers, that's King Solomon's caravan. King Solomon is reigning at this point. You've heard of him, right? 
tiny little king in, in Israel. This is King Solomon's caravan, and he's here, and the news is spreading that he's getting married today. And she's like, okay, cool. So he pulls up, and sure enough, it's King Solomon. And he gets, he gets out of his chariot, and he's arrayed in this gorgeous robe, and he's wearing this special crown that the king is only supposed to wear. The, his mom made him a crown that he's only supposed to wear in the day of his espousals. And he's wearing it. He's wearing it that day. And everybody gathers around, and he starts talking. And he says, thou art fair, my love. Thou art fair. And she recognizes his voice. And he keeps on talking. And as he's talking, King Solomon is saying the same things that the shepherd would tell her. He's saying the same things about her eyes and her neck and her, I don't know, you know, her hair and her cheeks and, you know, her teeth. Could it, could it be? And he starts walking towards her. And as he gets closer and closer, it's him. King Solomon is the shepherd that, they, that she fell in love with. Plot twist. And no wonder he would just disappear for days on end and nobody knew where he came from. He was the king. And apparently, whenever King Solomon got tired of the daily grind of kingdom ruling, which I'm, I'm sure had a little bit of stress that came along with it, he would just disappear. And he'd go to Shulam and he'd do what his dad did, be a shepherd, just to kind of unwind. And while he's away, the king falls in love with this poor, lonely, kind of worthless Shulamite girl. And now he's here asking her to be his bride. And she says yes. Duh. But he, she didn't say yes because he was the king. She said yes because before she ever knew he was a king, she knew how much he loved her, and she couldn't resist it. So when she says yes, immediately the planning begins for the wedding. And she chooses her gown, and she chooses her veil, and she chooses her shoes, and she chooses her bridesmaids. I mean, her life has completely changed now that the king has fallen in love with her. But on the night before her wedding, she has a dream. And in her dream, her beloved knocks on her door. But instead of opening the door, she turns him away. And he tries to get in again, and he tries to get to her again. But again, she rejects him. She, she turns him away. And after the second time of seeing him try to get into her, she's overcome with this feeling of shame and, and grief that she's turned him away. She's, she has this guilt that she didn't open the door for her beloved. So she runs to the door, and she opens the door, and he's gone. 
So she runs out into the street and she's calling his name, but he's not answering. The watchmen of the city find her, but instead of helping her, they, they grab her, they beat her, they take her veil away from her. I mean, it's an awful dream. She runs into her bridesmaids in the dream. And surely they're going to help her find her beloved. So she, she asks them to. She, she says this, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him that I am sick of love. Now, she's not saying, like, I'm sick of this. I'm done with this. She, it's just an expression used back then. I mean, husbands, if you really want to make your wives go crazy about you, just go up and say, I'm, I'm sick of you. And, and biblically, it means something incredible. So when she says, like, I'm, I'm sick of love, she's, I'm, I'm so in love with him. It's, it's, a, it's affecting me. I just, it's, it's changing me. It's, it's, there's so many ways that you can, that you can describe it. It's, it's making me uncomfortable almost how much I love him. Please tell him. But instead of the bridesmaids helping her, they, they react harshly. They react coldly. And they, and they ask her a question in return to her charge to them. They, they, they hear it, and they, they ask this question, this kind of snarky question. Now, we're, we're ready to look in Scripture and read further, because I, I want to show you the question that the bridesmaids ask, and then I certainly want to show you her answer. I want to show you the bride's answer to it. And when we see their question and her answer, that's where we're going to find the message that I have for you this morning, okay? Song of Solomon, chapter 5. It's in there, I promise you. <laughs> if you turn towards the middle of your Bible, you're going to find Psalms, then Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, okay? It might be in your Bible, Song of Songs, but you'll, you'll, you'll see it in there. Chapter 5 and verse 2. This, this is her dream. She's going to describe her dream that I just told you, and you'll see it all play out, all right? I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. And this is her answering. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? Typical woman right there. My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door. My bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved. My hands dropped with myrrh, my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. He called me to answer the door, and I, I, I didn't respond. When he spake, my soul failed. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. 
just by the way, the Lord is going to speak to you this morning. Don't let your soul fail. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. And here in verse 8 is where she sees her bridal party. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. And notice how the bridesmaids answer. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women. See, he, he always called her that, and they're almost saying it sarcastically. What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? And here's her answer. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers, his lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with the barrel. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. I mean, she's just going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And then she gets to the point where she, she realizes, I'm, I'm not going to win this. I'm, I'm going to fail at describing how incredible he is. So let's just sum it up here. Yay, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. O daughters of Jerusalem. And when she gives that answer, her dream changes. And so does the attitude of the bridesmaids. Instead of asking, what does I beloved more than another? Look at what they ask in chapter 6, verse 1. Whither is thy beloved gone? O thou fairest among women, whither is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee? Father, please bless the preaching of your word. Save the soul in this room that is nearest hell. Lord, save the soul that's furthest away, but on their way. Please call prodigals home, revive backsliders, and glorify your name in all that is said and done. We ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You were standing for a while, so I'll let you get settled in. Everybody, even men, Enjoy a good love story. Some of you watch Hallmark and you watch, you know, Disney. Every Disney movie is a love story, you know, and everything. I mean, seriously, Disney, think about it. Disney is one of the largest companies in the world. And how did they get there? Writing love stories. But let me tell you why this love story is in the Bible. Well, let's, let's, let me tell you why it's not in the Bible, okay? It is not in the Bible because God just wanted to entertain us with a love story. Disney does it, I'll do it, sure. Which, by the way, Disney's got nothing on this. It's, it's a really good one. It is not in there like a lot of these modern-day podcasts and authors are saying, you know, this is God's view of very personal relationships. That, that, is, that is not what this is, okay? 
leave it up to man to take something pure and holy and turn it into something sensual. It's ridiculous. The reason this story is in the Bible is because it's mine. This is my love story. Like that Shulamite woman, I'm nothing. I'm poor. I'm unkept. Working and laboring for the world. Tired. Unlovely. Ugly. I am an ugly person. An ugly soul. An ugly spirit that has absolutely nothing to offer this world or anybody in it. But the day came when I met somebody. And he told me that I was his everything. And the more I got to know him, the more incredible he turned out to be. And even though I was so unlovely, he told me that he loved me. And his love was very unexpected and very surprising, but so real to the point when I didn't even know much about him, I could not help but love him. And just when I thought things couldn't get any better, I found out he was a king. And not just a king, the king. The king of kings. And the Lord of lords and the ruler of everything loves me. And he asked me to be his. And this story doesn't only belong to that Shulamite woman in Solomon. It belongs to me and Jesus. And what I'm telling you is this love story can belong to you as well. It can. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, oh man, that'll mess with somebody's Calvinism right there, <laughs> that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. This love story can be yours. I've met many people who can say, this love story is mine. I can say, Jesus is mine, and I am his. But I have met thousands more, and I'm not exaggerating. I have met thousands more. Good people, great people, wonderful people, kind people, but thousands more people who react like the bridesmaids in this nightmare. Now, maybe they don't say it out loud because, again, they're very religious people and it would be rude to do, but it's, it's buried deep in their sinful heart or it's shown by their actions. When you are told about Jesus, you ask, what's so good about him? What, what is Jesus more than other gods? What is Jesus more than other objects of love. What is thy beloved more than another? 
beloved? And I want to answer that question this morning. You realize it doesn't matter who you are in this room. You have a beloved. Okay? You have something or someone in your life that your world revolves around. It's the reason you wake up. It's the reason you work. It's the last thought that you have before you go to bed. Everybody in this room has a beloved. Some of you, your beloved is yourself. Your beloved is pleasure. The Bible says in the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Just look on social media. Uh, okay, okay. You want to see Bible pro- prophecy fulfilled? When I think in 2019, the word of the year was selfie. Yeah. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Everything you do is about you. You sleep in in the morning because it pleases self. You stay up late because it pleases self. You drink because it pleases self. You smoke because it pleases self. You party because it pleases self. You're immoral because it brings pleasure to yourself. You avoid the things of God because to follow the things of God means denying yourself. And yourself doesn't like that. You watch filth because it pleases yourself. You're all over social media constantly fishing for comments because it pleases yourself. You are your own beloved. And so when I tell you, you need to search for Jesus, your answer is, what is thy beloved more than another? Why should I search for Jesus when I have me. Some of you, your beloved is money. Your beloved is possessions. Let's just, your beloved is wealth. Everything you do is about gain. More money, more wealth, more possessions. Let me tell you how much money will make a man happy. A little more. Let me tell how many possessions will make a man happy. A little more. Because the Joneses always have more than you. (laughs) More net worth. More ownership of things. You wake up early because you can get more hours at work. Or you stay late because you can get overtime. Even the way that you dress is only to move up. You constantly watch the stock market. I hope you're not depressed. Constantly watching the stock market. You jump from job to job, job to job, job to job. Always trying to climb the corporate ladder. That's all that you care about. And you're constantly browsing for the newest thing. You know, we call it browsing. You know, the Bible has a word for it. Oh, covetousness. Constantly browsing. Got to have the newest phone. Got to have the newest tablet. Got to have the newest gaming console. Got to have the newest gadget. Got to have the newest watch. Lord, help me, watches are pretty cool. But you got to have the newest TV. You got to have the newest home. You got to have the newest truck. Got to have the newest car. Got to have the newest investment. Wealth is your beloved. So when somebody comes up and says, you need to seek for Jesus, you ask, what is Jesus more than money? Why should I seek for Jesus when I can seek for wealth? Some of you, your beloved is knowledge, education, 
The pursuit of intelligence is your life. You spend hours on the internet, hours on YouTube and Wikipedia and all these different things, Googling stuff so that you can learn more and more so you can be the smartest person in the room. You study and study and study and more learning and learning and learning and learning and degrees and degrees and degrees and degrees. You have more degrees than a thermometer, but you want more and more books and more classes and more questions and you get into constant debates and fill your head with all this knowledge because knowledge is your beloved. So when Jesus is set before you, you ask, what is Jesus more than knowledge? And why should I search for Jesus when I can search for knowledge? And why should I search for Jesus when I can search for science and I can search through history and I can search all these different things? Because knowledge is your beloved. Some of you, religion is your beloved. And we're in Texas. Many of you, religion is your beloved. Your life is filled with religious deeds. Now, I understand that just as I would not appreciate if somebody came after my wife because my wife is my beloved, you might not be too happy with me because I'm coming after yours. And I'm coming after your money. And I'm coming after yourself. And I'm coming after your knowledge. And I'm coming after your religion. But what if I told you your beloved is lying to you? Some of you, your, your religion is your beloved. And everything you do is for your religious deeds. You pray because religion tells you to. And you obey because religion threatens you if you don't. Let me tell you something, friend. I'm a preacher. I'm the pastor of this church. You realize I have no authority over your soul. I am not allowed. I have no power to tell you you're, you're, you're kicked out of the kingdom of God. <laughs> if I were to kick you out because you're a sinner, I'd, I'd qualify. <laughs> I need to kick myself out. But all, all over, people serve religion because they're fearful if they don't. Religion is a powerful thing. You attend church because your religion says that's what you're supposed to do. You get baptized at whatever age, at whatever time, whether you understand it or not, because that's what religion tells you that you're supposed to do. I'm hearing of some churches in the area that treat baptism like you're joining a gym. Like, hey, it's your first time. You want to be baptized? You, you down? <laughs> that's, not, that's not baptism, okay? Right. You follow the sacraments because that's what religion tells you you're supposed to do. I, I'm, I am amazed. I am amazed. I'm amazed at the power of religion and how they can get people to believe, oh, you're supposed to do this and this and this and this and this. And people just buy it. They just buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. But when I tell you a king loves you in spite of who you are, no one believes it. Follow the golden rule because that's what you're supposed to do. And give because that's what you're supposed to do. And take communion because that's what you're supposed to do. And in return, religion promises to save your soul. And so religion has become your beloved. So when Jesus is presented to you, you ask, what, why do I need Jesus? What is Jesus more than my religion? Why do I need Jesus when I have my saints? Do you know how many religious people I talk to and I ask them, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when they die? And they, and they say, yes. 
And I ask them, can you tell me how? Can you tell me how you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And they'll go on for 15 minutes. Well, I've done this and I've done that and I've done this and this and this and this. And you should see the look on those very religious people's eyes when I tell them, I asked you 15 minutes ago how you know for sure that you're going to heaven. And you went on for 15 minutes and you didn't say the name of Jesus Christ one time. Sometimes they get angry. Most times they get angry. Sometimes they break. Because, friend, if you're going to get where Jesus is, you need to do what Jesus says, not what religion says. But people ask, why do, why do I need Jesus when I have my saints? Easy answer. Jesus is alive. The saints are dead. Sorry, I don't mean to be sarcastic. Why do I need Jesus when I have my baptism? Why do I need Jesus when I have my sacraments? Why do I need Jesus when I have my good deeds? What is Jesus more than good deeds? Why do I need Jesus when I have my confession? Why do I need Jesus when I have my family in church? Why do I need Jesus when my, when my dad and my grandpapa and my great-grandpapa were Baptist preachers? Oh, congratulations. God has no grandchildren. Why do I need Jesus when I have my ministry at church? I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a minister. I'm a missionary. I'm a... I'm a... I'm, 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 me, 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 me. Why, why, why do I need Jesus when I have that every week, every week, every week of my life? People tell me, Johnny, meet, meet religion. This is my beloved. Johnny, meet wealth. This is my beloved. Johnny, meet self. Johnny, meet me. I am my beloved. Johnny, meet pleasure. This is my beloved. Johnny, meet knowledge. This is my beloved. And what is thy beloved more than another? Why is Jesus better than what I have? And I'm so glad you asked that question. Here's my answer. This is my beloved. My beloved is strong. And I don't know if you want to look at your beloved money right now. <laughs> it ain't doing so hot. My beloved is strong. Look at your beloved self. Nobody in this world is weaker than you. And you know that for a fact. Look at your beloved knowledge. Look how strong it is. Because what's true this week will not be next week. When something's strong, it doesn't change. And we don't even know how many genders there are anymore. Sorry to interrupt your Sunday with preaching. Male and female created he them. Let me see where I lost you. Male and, 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 and female. Man, woman. And we don't even know that anymore. Oh, there's hundreds. <laughs> no, there's two. Okay, 
So look at your beloved religion. Look at how strong it is. Your religion is not strong enough to save one soul. It's not even strong enough to forgive one sin. My beloved is strong. The most powerful kings in this world tremble at his name. The mightiest armies flee at the sound of his voice. If all the kingdoms of history joined an alliance, they could not touch the hem of the garment of the realm of his authority. He walks and mountains shake. He speaks and galaxies are formed. He prays and storms become calm. He looks and hearts melt like ice. He breathes and the dead rise again. He flexes his arm and nations fall before him. All the demons of hell shake at the very thought of him. He holds the universe in his hand. He tells the sun to rise and to set and it obeys. He holds the ocean back with his decree. This is my beloved. He's created all things out of nothing. He's parted great seas and rivers. He's defeated entire armies in seconds. He's made blind eyes see. He made lame feet walk. He made deaf ears hear. He made dead bodies rise. One time he spoke three words and 600 soldiers fell backwards at the sound of his voice. One time he turned snacks into feasts. He's turned harlots into royalty. He's turned murderers into preachers. He's turned shepherds into warriors. He's turned the cross into a symbol of life. He came into this world through a virgin womb and he left through a tomb. You realize Jesus was so strong, he entered this world through a door that said no entrance and he left this world through a door that said no exit. This is my beloved, and there is no other beloved as strong as him. And maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but it means something to me. And I'll tell you why it does in just a little bit. My beloved is kind. You know, usually along with strength comes a coldness, a harshness, a meanness to those who are weak. Usually strength is used to take advantage of others, but this is not my beloved. My beloved is merciful. He is gracious. He is sweet. He is loving. Money is cruel. You know how many times I've looked in the bank account and thought, oh, money, you're there for me. That's wonderful. And then I turn around and I look back and she gone. (laughs) Your beloved self is not kind. Nobody condemns you more than your own heart. And your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Your heart is the one that tells you to play in the street of sin and then mocks you when you get hit by a car. Your beloved self is not kind. My beloved is kind. Religion is not kind. Nothing that lies to you is kind. Knowledge has no care for you. No care at all. But my beloved... When he has every right to punish, he's patient. When he has every right to condemn, he forgives. And when he could hurt, he he helps. When he could yell, he comforts. When he can push, he holds. When he can frown, he smiles. When he can scold, he teaches. When he can push down, he reaches down. Nobody has ever been more kind to me than Jesus. When my enemies make me feel I'm worthless, he tells me I'm everything to him. And when even my closest friends forsake me, his thoughts are with me each moment of the day. When I fall, he helps me up. When I fail, he reminds me failure isn't final. 
When I confess, he forgives. When I'm afraid, he comforts. When I'm sad, he cries with me. And he wipes away my tears before he wipes away his own. When I'm happy, he rejoices with me. This is my beloved, and there is none so kind as him. And maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but it means something to me, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. My beloved is wise. He always knows what to do, always. There is no problem he can't solve, no lesson that he can be taught, no path that he cannot navigate with pinpoint accuracy. But every time I go to money, my beloved money, what should we do? Uh, 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 pay, throw money at it, just throw me at it. Doesn't work all the time. But that's always money's answer. Just pay, 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 green, green, green. Then I go to my beloved self. Look out for number one. Look out for number one. Look out for number one. Then I go to my beloved knowledge. And it says, I don't know. And then people go to their beloved religion. And you know what religion says? Well, just do more, do more, do more, do more, do more. But I'm tired. Well, do more. But it's not doing anything. Well, do more. But, but it's not working. I've been doing it for the past 15 years. We'll do more. <laughs> My beloved is wise. He calls all the stars by their name. He has the hairs of my head numbered. I'm helping him with his subtraction right now. <laughs> he knows even when a sparrow falls from the sky, and he asks, if I know that, how much more do I care for you? Are you not better than many sparrows? He has the answer to every question. He knows what I should do, when I should do it, why I should do it, where I should do it, how I should do it, and with whom to do it with. He's never said, I don't know. Oh, I'm getting so mad. My kids are starting to do that. I don't know has become, oh. There is a threat of corporal punishment in my house right now. If I ever hear the words, oh, again. He's never said, I don't know. He's never said, I'm not sure. He's never said, let me think. He's never said, give me a moment. He never said, your guess is as good as mine. He says in his word, my understanding is infinite. He says, there's not a word in your tongue that I don't know altogether. He says, I know when you sit down and I know when you rise up and I know your thoughts long before you think them. I know the secrets of your heart. I am God, there is none else. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. Show him the egg and he's sees the adult. Show him the seed, he sees the tree. Show him the cradle, he sees the grave. Show him the starting line, he knows who wins. Show him the battle cry, he sees the victor. This is my beloved, and no other beloved is as wise as him. And maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but it means something to me. You can keep your beloved money, you can keep your beloved pleasure, you can keep your beloved self, and you can keep your beloved knowledge, and you can keep your beloved religion. This is my beloved, and he's more than any other. My beloved is holy. He's never done anything wrong. He's never made a mistake. He never said what he shouldn't say. He never went where he shouldn't go. He never thought what he shouldn't think. He never saw what he shouldn't see. He never did anything wrong. He, he never did anything right in the wrong way. So you can have your beloved priest. He's a sinner and she's a sinner, whoever, whoever they are. My beloved's holy. And you can have your beloved Confucius. He's a sinner. My beloved's holy. You can have your beloved Buddha. He was a sinner and a pervert at that. Yep. My God and my beloved is holy. You can have your beloved Muhammad. 
He's a sinner and he's dead. My beloved is holy. You can have your beloved saints. They were sinners. My beloved's holy. You can have your beloved Pope. He's a sinner. My beloved's holy. And my beloved's faithful. Ever since I came to know him, even when I was unfaithful to him, he was always, always faithful to me. Even though I've left him, even though I've loved others, even though I've hurt him and I've turned from him and severely mistreated him, he has never ever left my side. And he promised me at the start of our relationship, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he's kept his word. So you can keep your beloved money. You know how many times I looked for money to be there for me? (laughs) And it wasn't there. It forsook me. Jesus never forsook me. You can have your beloved self. Nobody has let me down more than me. You can have your beloved pleasure. It's only there for a season. My beloved is there always. You can have your beloved knowledge. I can't tell you how many times I have researched what to do, only to have the knowledge and wisdom of this earth lead me to destruction. Jesus has never led me down a wrong path. You can have your beloved religion. I served religion for 13 years of my life only to find out it had been lying to me. Because religion told me if you want to go to heaven, you must work your way there. Sounds fair enough, right? Sounds fair enough. So I worked, and I worked, and I worked. And then I read in the Bible, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Religion lied to me. Religion told me if you want forgiveness, confess your sins to a priest. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Religion lied. Religion told me if you want eternal life, you must be baptized and be confirmed and take the sacraments and follow the commandments and keep the golden rule and recite these prayers. You must do and 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 do. And then Jesus found me and said, I will do it all for you. This is my beloved. And I could tell you so much more about him, but words and time would fail me. So let's just wrap it up in this way. He's altogether lovely. I can't say one bad thing about him. And every good thing, he is all good. And in every way that he is good, he is good all the way. Now, maybe that doesn't mean much to you, but it means a lot to me. And let me tell you why. Because even though he's so strong, And even though he's so wise, and even though he's so faithful, and he's so kind, and he's so holy, even though he is altogether lovely, even though he's rich, even though he's the king, he loves me. And he loved me when I was very unlovely. When he found me, I was poor. I was wretched. 
I was wicked. I was ugly, beaten down, filthy, unloved, and unlovely, but he loved me anyway. And he loved me so much, he left his throne to come to where I was. And he lived for 33 years and never sinned one time. Performed miracles, and yet people rejected him. Showed compassion, yet people hated him. Cried, come unto me, and yet people cried back, crucify. Falsely accused, beaten, tortured, stripped naked, nailed to a cross, left to suffocate for six hours. But he did it all because he loves me. This is my love story, which tells me that when he was on that cross of Calvary, he was thinking of one person. Me. Why me, of all people? Because I know who I am. Sometimes I go to my kids and I tell them I love you. I love you too, Daddy. But then I say, do you know how much I love you? And they say, how much? (laughs) And what do you do? When I was 13, someone told me Jesus loved me. And I asked him, how much? And they showed me in the Bible how he stretched out his arms on the cross and said this much. And he died. And he died because he loves me. And he was buried because he loves me. He rose again because he loves me. And he ascended to heaven because he loves me. And he makes constant intercession for me because he loves me, a poor, wicked, vile wretch of a person. This is my beloved. And this is my friend. So now I ask you, what is thy beloved? more than mine? What is your money more than Jesus? What is your pleasure more than Jesus? What is your self more than Jesus? What is your knowledge more than Jesus? What is your religion more than Jesus? Will you keep your love story with another beloved when this love story can be yours? Will you reject my beloved when he can be yours too? And by the way, when she rejected, it led to a nightmare. And when you reject my Savior, you will live a nightmare. Hell is reserved for those who reject the Savior. God does not send people to hell. God sent his son so that you could have a way out. You will send yourself. Will you ask me, what is thy beloved more than another? Or will you ask, whither is thy beloved gone? That we may seek him with thee. Where is the sinner who is afraid of the judgment to come? Focus in. 
Where is the sinner that feels his guilt before God this morning? That feels her guilt before God this morning? Where is the one who will make my beloved your own? And what would hold you back? He's altogether lovely. He's not altogether terrible. He loves you, though you have nothing to give him in return. And see, that's why religion makes you feel good. Give him something, give him something, give him something, give him something. You don't even go to a birthday party without a gift. Are you going to go to Jesus without anything? Oh, no, no, no. He says, just bring me your broken heart. I'll, I'll take that. He is altogether lovely. He's not somewhat lovely. He's not sometimes lovely. He is willing now to accept even the vilest sinner in this room. But I'll tell you this, you're not the vilest sinner. I've got you beat. And he saved me. He can save you. Think of his name, Jesus Christ the Savior. Is that not lovely? Think of his ministry on earth. I am come to seek and save that which was lost. Is that not lovely? Think of his gospel. I died for you. I was buried for you. I rose again for you. Is that not lovely? Think of his prayer. He is pleading right now with God for your soul. Is that not lovely? And think of his, his invitation. Be mine. Come unto me and be mine. Is that not lovely? Please, reject me. Reject my words. Hate me. Never come back. But accept his invitation today. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.